Okay, good morning, Merry Christmas. All right, uh, let's uh, let's do our so-called feast of the word. Let's pray for God's blessing. Heavenly Father, thank you for receiving our our love and worship. And now we pray that you give us understanding, guide our life, uh, lead our path. We know we are on the narrow way to heaven, but in Christ Jesus, nothing is too hard for God. We thank you for giving us your word. And uh, today, unpack your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Why do we celebrate Christmas against all tides? The 2019 Christmas service. Well, it seems that everybody wants us to stop celebrating Christmas. Isn't that so? Yeah. Okay. First of all, you have secularists who uh, uh, forbid the nativity scene in anywhere public. Okay. And then they say that Jesus wasn't even a real historical person. And then you have the occultists who claim that uh, Christmas is really their holiday. Uh, either Saturnalia, which is December 26th, or Winter Solstice, which is December 22nd, today. Okay. And, uh, um, you know, why is uh, so Winter Solstice c- uh, c- claimed by the, by, by the pagans? Because that's the darkest day of the year, right? And so they call it the birthday of the sun, okay, because the light increases. And uh, some fundamentalist Christians and the Messianic Jews want us to reject the celebration of Christmas and Easter because the occultists claim them. So because they like it, we don't like it. They like beef, so we don't like beef, right? They, they like to vegetables, so we don't like vegetables, right? <laughs> Texans can say that, but on the other hand, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, the logic doesn't really hold, if you think about it, okay? It depends on whether it's true. It doesn't matter who likes it or who claims it, okay? So, um, the cultural Christians, they minimize Jesus and uh, maximize Santa Claus and trees and lights and commercialize Christmas. So, yeah, it seems like Christmas has become unpopular. However... Let me ask you what happened in 2019 plus 5 minus 1 years ago. Tell me what, how many years ago was that? 2023 years ago. Why plus 5? Because 5 BC. Why minus 1? Because there's no year 0. There's a 1 BC and then one AD 1. Okay. So 2019 is this year plus 5 minus 1. 2023 years ago. What happened? Well, on the first day of Hanukkah, which is Kislev, the ninth month in the Jewish calendar, approximately December 25th, and the Hanukkah lasts for eight days. On the first day of Hanukkah uh, in 5 BC, which happens to be Sunday, Julian date December 24th, and Gregorian date December 22nd. On that day, Joseph and Mary arrived in Bethlehem of Judea. And Jesus was born either on the evening of that day or the night before. Because in Jewish calendar, you know, they start the day from the previous evening. So Jesus could be born a day before or that day. And then he was circumcised on the eighth day of the Hanukkah. Because children are circumcised on the eighth day, right? 
in the Bible, anything holy comes through eight days of dedication. The tabernacle was dedicated in how many days? Eight days. The priests were sanctified in how many days? Eight days. Children were circumcised on how many days? Eight days. By the way, the eighth day of after birth, today's medicine has validated that that day is the day when you have the uh, maximum amount of blood plates. So it has quick healing. And also, it's still, uh, it's the day before the nerves start to develop. So they have least pain. So fastest healing and least pain. How did the ancient know that? God, right? Okay. So, uh, and of course, um, how do I say, other eight days. Um, but anyway, the church will go through seven periods. On the eighth period, become holy. Yeah, um, that's a pattern. Anyway, uh, and he was born in the manger of a sheep pen because it was a busy holiday season and the inn was full. Hanukkah was a holiday season. Inn was full. The uh, the shepherds in the field moved uh, in shepherd and sheep, I believe. Okay, from the same inn, they moved out to make space for this couple which are about to have a child. So think about it. You know, every inn actually is just a big house. They have a place that's high, that's for people to live, and it's a place that's low, that's for the sheep to live. So the inn where people live is full, but the place where sheep live, well, sheep can move. You know, they have fur coat. So, you know, put them in the fields. So the reason against a wintry... Uh, Christmas, the major one is that the sheep shouldn't be in the field. Generally, yes. But when it's necessary, you know, when there's a couple who's about to have a child, you need a place. What do you do? Okay, get, drive the sheep out. Okay? Sheep can take it. They have fur coats. You know, you know about the uh, shepherds, well, you make a fire. Make a bonfire. Okay? So, I believe it's the same people who were from the same sheep pen that moved out, and it's the same shepherd that heard the angels sing. Okay, it's totally understandable, totally relatable. Yes, sheep in the field is not natural, but when it's necessary, it's explainable. Okay, and uh, uh, Jesus, uh, and the, now let's say, uh, why him? Okay, why Jesus of Nazareth? Well, Jesus had the right genealogy. The Bible pro prophesied that the Messiah will be the son of Abraham, uh, to whom was promised a blessing to all nations. And he should also be the son of David, thus the rightful king of Israel. Okay. So what is the first verse of the New Testament in Matthew 1.1? This is the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The rightful kingship for Israel, the promised blessing for all nations. See? He has the right genealogy. In Matthew 1 and Luke 3, uh, they recorded the genealogy of Joseph and Mary, the two sides. They are both descendants of David, King David, through um, Bathsheba. Same father, same mother, but two sons. One is Solomon, 
who was a king, so from him was the kingly line. And another son is called Nathan. He is the, the commoner's line. And uh, why do I have to combine them together? Because in the kingly line, there was a guy, the last, well, the next to the last king of Judea, of Judah. His name was Jehoiachin. He also has another name called Jeconiah, uh, a.k.a. Coniah. So if you search the Bible, you're going to find his name in Jeremiah 23, I think. That's where, 22, Jeremiah 22, 30. That's where he's cursed. God says, no descendant of him will ever sit on the throne of Israel. So if Jesus really is the blood descendant through Joseph, he would be among the cursed. He couldn't sit on the throne. But he was not really a son of Joseph, was he? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, right? So, uh, but legally, he was a son of Joseph. So legally, he is from the kingly line. And biologically, he's from Mary, who was also a descendant of David. And uh, so biologically and legally, he is the son of David. And then he is not under the curse. In addition, he is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of Virgin Mary, so he's the son of God. Okay, so that's why he has the right genealogy. Okay, that's why him. Then why there? Why in Bethlehem? The son of David, uh, sons of David had to keep low profile to avoid persecution. Think about it. If you are descendant of ancient great king and there's a promise that son of David someday will be the great king of the world, wouldn't the evil people try to kill you all? Right? So the sons of David had to keep low profile. They didn't return to the promised land until probably in the first century BC, okay, very close um, to Christ's time. And then they settled in this little village. Okay, It's called uh, Nazareth. And if you read Hebrew, you're going to say, ah, Nazareth. It means netzer, which means the branch. What did the Bible say? The branch of Jesse, the son of David. All right. So they settled in the town and revealed their identity, sort of, through the name, the, the tongue of the branch. The branch of what? If you read your Bible, the branch of Jesse, which means David, okay, the new David. And uh, um, it was prophesied that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem, according to Micah 5.2, the hometown of David in Judea, you know, uh, Nazareth is in Galilee, in northern Israel, and then Judea in, is close to Jerusalem, in southern Israel. So there is about, uh, uh, estimate, about 50 miles. Okay. So today, when you drive, you don't think it's any distance. You know, one hour drive. But at that time, if you walk, you know, and if you're pregnant and sitting on a donkey, it's going to take a few days. And uh, um, it happened that a Roman governor of Syria who oversaw Judea ordered a census for taxation. So Joseph and Mary had to go to their ancestor's town, Bethlehem, which in Hebrew, if you read Hebrew again, you can say, Bayit Lechem. Oh, the house of bread. House of bread. What did Jesus say? I am the bread of heaven. So that's why he has to be born in the house of bread. 
see? He is the branch of Jesse. That's why he lived in Netzer, Nazareth. Okay. And uh, now, why then? Why the time? Uh, God designed ten feasts for the Israelite people. Eight are called the major feasts. Two are called the minor feasts. The eight major feasts are divided into two groups. Four called spring feasts. Four called fall feasts. Okay. These are all written in Moses' five books okay, in the Pentateuch. And uh, the spring feasts are these four. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and the Pentecost. And they predicted Jesus' ministry in his first coming because he was crucified on the day of Passover. He uh, gave the redemption, paid for our sins. And what is unleavened bread? Unleavened bread is seven days without what? Leaven. Without leaven. And leaven is a symbol of sin. Seven days means complete removal of sin. So, and the seven days of uh, unleavened bread comes on the heel of the Passover after shedding the blood of the lamb. So, how does, how, uh, does our sin get cleansed? Because the blood of the Lamb of God was shed. Therefore, our sin are totally removed. The redemption. Okay? So, Passover and redemption. And uh, uh, Passover is crucifixion. Eleven bread is redemption. And then the first fruits, which is the third day after the Passover, is uh, the day he resurrected from the dead. Okay? He's the first fruit of resurrection. That means if he is holy, he is accepted by God, all who are in him will be accepted by God. Are we in him? If we believe in his name, we are in him. So we will receive the same resurrected body that he has. And uh, finally, the Pentecost. It's a day of harvest. What did Jesus harvest at the day of Pentecost? The church. Us. Okay, We are the fruit of his work. So the spring feasts are the prophecy for Jesus' ministry in his first coming. Are all of them fulfilled exactly as predicted? Beautifully. Yeah. And now there are four fall feasts. They, I believe, predicted Jesus' ministry in his second coming. The fall feasts are four. These are trumpets, the first day of the seventh month, uh, the Day of Atonement, which is the uh, tenth day, and the Tabernacle, which is seven days from the 15th of 22, and then Solemn Assembly, which is the day after that. Okay. And what do they represent? Well, the trumpets at the time, the trumpet shall sound, and you shall come into the air, be with the Lord forever. That's the rapture of the church. What is the Day of Atonement? That's when all Israel's sins get paid. That's when Jesus came at the second coming. At that time, Israel have all believed in him. And that's why they're saying that. Hey, and how about the seven-day tabernacle? I think it refers to the 1,000-year millennial kingdom of God. When God be with his people and his people will believe, follow God. And so seven days is complete within a thousand years, uh, which is the seventh day for God. You know, for God, a thousand years like a day, a day is like a thousand years. Okay. And um, uh, and then finally, the solemn assembly represents the great white throne judgment, or so we often call it final judgment. Okay, it came, it comes right after the uh, thousand years. 
Okay, and then these are the major fees. Okay, and then there are two uh, last minor fees. One was in the Bible, one is prophesied in the Bible. Purim was established through the book of Esther when an evil guy called Haman tried to kill all Israelites, right? Uh, and then um, who is Haman? Haman is a Agagite, a son of Agag. And Agag, if you check the Bible, he was the king of Amalek at the time of Saul. And if you check uh, Amalek, he will be a grandson of Esau. So Haman is a descendant of Esau. So Esau and then Jacob, Edomite, and then Israel, the two brothers fight, lasted 2,000 years. Okay. And then since Israel was God's way of blessing the nations, but when they sinned, that channel was stopped. But one true Israelite became the new channel to bless the nation. Who is that one true Israelite? Jesus Christ. Okay. So the true one true Israelite will be also persecuted and almost annihilated like Israel at the time of uh, Haman. And who is this one who tried to kill him? Herod, right? Herod. And then who is Herod a descendant of? He's an Edomian, which means Edomite. That means from Edom, another name for Esau. You see? So, uh, Purim predicted Jesus would be almost murdered by Herod the Great. Okay, And Hanukkah was the last biblical feast. It predicted the birthday and circumcision of Jesus. And why Hanukkah? Well, Hanukkah was predicted by Daniel chapter 8 and 11. It happened during the intertestamental time, O-T-N-T, -T, the intertestamental time, when Antiochus IV Epiphanes, the king of the Seleucid kingdom, which capital is in Antioch, Syria, he desecrated the temple on Kislev, the ninth month of Jewish calendar, 25th day, 168 or 167. There are debates on which year. I prefer the earlier one. And then the Jewish resistance called the Maccabeans, they rededicated the temple exactly three years later on the same day, Kislev 25th. So uh, this was recorded in the book of 1 Maccabees, um, chapter 1, 59, and chapter 4, 52. There was a miracle of light when the oil of the menorah was only enough for one day, but it lasted for eight days. That's why Hanukkah is eight days. Okay. So, Hanukkah is a festival celebrated for the rededication of the temple and the miracle of light. Now, continue. Jesus' body is the new temple of God. In John 2, 19-21, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build the temple, and will you raise it up in three days? but he was speaking of the temple of his body. Okay? He has a physical body. He has a spiritual body. His physical body was filled with the Holy Spirit. Thus, he's the temple of God. His spiritual body is the church. And the church has the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Not only the whole church, but every true believer's body is the temple of God. Because Paul said, in 1 Corinthians 6.19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? See, We are not a temple of God. Okay. And uh, uh, Jesus is the light of the world also. 
uh, in John 8:12, Jesus said, uh, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So since Jesus is the new temple and the light of the world, it makes sense that he was born on Hanukkah, the first day of Hanukkah, the feast celebrating the rededication of the temple and the miracle of light, right? And he was circumcised on the eighth day at the end of the feast. It makes perfect sense. Okay. So why not pagan? The pagans do have a claim on the winter solstice and the Saturnalia. Okay. Winter solstice is the darkest day of the year, thus considered the birthday of the sun, or the death of Tammuz or Horus. Tammuz is Mesopotamian, Horus is Egyptian, and this person dies every year and resurrects every year. The resurrection is on East spring equinox, which is close to Easter. Okay. So that's why they claim Easter is also pagan, because of this, Tammuz, death and resurrection. Okay. Um, the winter solstice of 5 BC was Gregorian 20, uh, December 20th, Julian December 22nd. Okay. And the Saturnalia was a satanic celebration of finding a fool to misrule, and then he get killed. He's a sacrifice. Okay. So it was De Julian December 26th. So they are these two days. They are two days ahead of or two days behind or after the first Christmas, which was December 24th. 22nd was the winter solstice. 26th was the Saturnalia. They are not the first Christmas. Okay. So I would say the devil is in the details, and so is God. Okay. If you are not shallow, I'm going to use this word with, with its true sense of... Um, Okay, contempt. Okay, if you're not shallow in knowledge, you will know that the pagans have no claim on Christmas. And those who claim that they do are, let's say together, shallow. Okay, so, but why December 25th? Well, the early church was primarily Jewish, so they only remembered Christmas as Hanukkah. The early church also emphasized on celebrating the death and the resurrection of Christ, which today will be Good Friday and Easter Sunday, more than the birth of Christ, which will be Christmas. However, when the Romans adopted Christianity, they needed a Julian date, a solar calendar. And uh, since Kislev is approximately December, because it's a lunar month that swings between November and December, okay? but Mostly, I say it was three quarters in, in December and one quarter in November. Okay. So, since it's approximately December, so the church decided to fix Christmas on December 25th. Uh, and that's from Kislev, 25th. That's where the number came from. Okay. If it had an error, it was one to two days. As we say, it was December 24th, not 25th. And he could be born on a day in the night before rather than the night of that day. So. If there's an error, it's one to two days, but that's negligible. The tradition is basically correct. Okay. Now, why the symbols? The Christmas tree and the lights are Protestant traditions suggested by Martin Luther. You know that? It wasn't Catholic. It was a Protestant tradition. Okay. That's why today people say, 
I think there there's a Fox program yesterday. They say asking people on the street about what do they know about Christmas, and the American people were going to say, "Oh, Jesus was born in Germany." <laughs> Thanks to public education, we become very, you know, knowledgeable. That's、uh, and kicking the Bible out of the school. You know. So <laughs> why does it say Jesus was born in Germany? Because Germany has something to do with that. Because Martin Luther suggested this tree. Okay, and why a evergreen tree? See, the evergreen tree represents the everlasting life that Jesus gives the believers in humanity. Why doesn't he use a what's the English word for the trees that leave deciduous? Why not a deciduous tree? See, if it's pagan, they would use a plus deciduous tree like an oak. Okay, but Christians use a evergreen tree. Okay, and why? Because it represents everlasting life that Jesus gives. Okay, and then also the lights represents Jesus being the. Light of the world. All right. So he was born close to the darkest day of the year, two days after, and thus from his birth, light, which means spiritual truth and understanding, shall increase.、Okay. Saint Santa Claus is based on Saint Nicholas, a fourth-century bishop of Asia Minor, who started the tradition of sending gifts to children, representing Jesus being the greatest gift of God. You see, all of these symbols. Are related to Jesus Christ, His birth, and the, He being the greatest gift of God. He gives everlasting life and is the light of the world. Originally, it was all Christian. Okay, but has it been abused? I say yes, and greatly, sadly. Okay, Christmas was commercialized. Okay, Santa Claus and、uh, buying gifts became the major theme rather than the birth of Jesus Christ. And the myth of Santa in the North Pole—I say Satan. It should be Santa, sorry.、Um, although it could be from Satan, you know. But, but Santa in the North Pole and elves—they are man-made myths. You see, my family never told our children about Santa Claus giving them gifts. We all told them the parents bought for you. <laughs> okay, so they don't have this transition. A lot of the schoolmates—they still believe it in high school. Uh, and when they are told the truth, or they find out the truth that the parents bought for them, that's like tooth fairies, and then they're gonna be very disappointed, and they're gonna think their parents lied to them. They're gonna probably reject their parents' faith because of that. So I think it is from Satan to make these tales, okay, to replace the truth. And but why did it became so popular? Well, I'm sorry to tell you, thanks to President Abraham Lincoln. He was the one who encouraged building up a civil religion to heal the country after the Civil War. He was one who encouraged to build up this Santa Claus thing.、Okay. He had good intention, but a bad consequence.、Okay. So the pagans start to claim Christmas, and some occultists believe、uh, claim or believe that Jesus was born on 9/11, 3 BC. That's what they believe. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. That's what they believe, and that's maybe why they designed the 9/11 event. Who knows? I don't really care, but it's what they believe. Okay, so I don't care. Okay, but I think it's better 
no, don't follow what the occultists believe, but follow what the Bible tells us through the pattern of feasts, right? Okay, so some awakened fundamentalist Christians started to reject Christmas also. And they're very judging for those who celebrate Christmas and they're saying, you're following whatever. Okay. So why some Christians want to reject Christmas? The Bible told us that there are strong Christians and the weak Christians. The strong Christians believe that the Holy Spirit in them is greater than all other spirits. So after praying for God's blessing, they are not afraid to eat meat that might have been sacrificed to idols, which have demons behind them. The weak Christians have scars of experiencing the demons through pagan religion. They are afraid of eating the meat that have been sacrificed to idols. So the weak tend to judge, and the strong tend to, well, just not care. So they both need improvement. Okay. The weak needs to stop judging while the strong need to care. Okay. And that's what we're just preaching on our series in 1 Corinthians, right? So why do I suggest that we celebrate Christmas? Well, today I believe the weak Christians reject Christmas. They are the fundamentalists who reject Christmas. They are actually the weak Christians. Okay. They reject Christmas because the pagans and the occultists claimed it. And they are afraid to have anything in common with them. Okay. Well, in reality, there is nothing in common. Okay. So they can remember Jesus' birth in other ways, because they probably believe in other days. And I don't care as long as they remember Jesus' birth. Okay. Just do not judge. Okay. When they do, they are in error. And the strong Christians could celebrate Christmas with the correct meaning of the symbols but emphasizing the birth of Christ more than the commercial message and definitely reject the myth. Okay. Christmas should be celebrated because it is the gateway to understanding the grace of God. He sent His only begotten Son to join us and to suffer together so that we can get to know Him and may enjoy each other forever in truth and love. How do you get to know people? Usually those who have struggled, who are there when you are struggling, you suffer together, you get to know each other better, and then you grow together, and then you know each other, and you trust each other. And then when you have gone through the valley of, let's say, death and suffering, you can enjoy in peace and love together. And that's how Jesus Christ teaches us how to love. He came to suffer with us. Think about it. He was born to a common carpenter's family. He came in a wintry day. And uh, he was born in a manger. Many places, right? And uh, um, he came to, and more than anything else, he died on the cross, right? He came to suffer with us and for us so that we may get to know him and then uh, we can enjoy him forever. And uh, I think Christmas is the entryway to know about grace because Christmas is a time when you give gifts which make people say, thank you. Well, thank God. Thank Jesus. All right? The greatest gift. Once you connect to Jesus, Christmas can be celebrated in its proper meaning, proper way. Okay? And uh, I believe I can be classified as the strong Christian side. I believe I'm not afraid that the pagans claim it because I know they're wrong. And then I will celebrate Christmas. Okay? But for those who say that they will not, I will respect. But I don't want them to judge me. Okay? 
So I hope all of us can learn to balance this issue of weak and strong Christian issue. Okay. And uh, uh, at the end, uh, I gave you two charts. One is determining the age of Christ. Okay. The uh, the time of uh, death for Christ was determined by the the uh, prophecy that the uh, Messiah will be cut off after 483 years. Okay, 69 sevens. If you use the prophetic year, it will be 470 years. Okay, and then 476 years, and then it ends exactly at the year 33. Okay, which is the time Jesus was crucified. Okay, and then you magnify that, you go to the first Christmas, which is uh, his birth, to the uh, first Good Friday, which is his death, and uh, um, it, he was born on Sunday, December 24th, 5 BC, and uh, um, he died on Friday, April the 3rd, AD 33. These are all Julian dates. And uh, what was his age? Well, you use 33. Minus 5 plus 1, you get 37. However, he was not his birth, uh, birthday yet. Okay, It was in the spring, not winter yet. So he was his age was 36. Why 36? Why not 33? Well, let me explain later. Okay. Um, the Talking about his, um, he began his ministry. When did he begin his ministry? Um, he began his ministry when he was baptized by John the Baptist. That happened in the fall of 29 AD. Okay, so you use 29 minus 5 or plus 1, you get 33. Because it's before his birthday, so it was 32. He was 32 years old when he began his ministry. What did the Bible say in Luke 3:23? Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Is 32 about 30? Yes. Okay, so don't forget, even that word, about, it matters. <laughs> it's not exact 30, but it's about 30, and it's correct. Okay, how about determining the birthday of Christ? Okay, from the fall of the first temple to the fall of the second temple, the Talmud records that uh, the first order of priests was serving in both cases. We know their dates, and we find the difference of their dates. If they really have this first order serving, they should divide the period of of 24 order. 24 orders, each serving seven days. So one cycle is 168 days. I found out the difference between those two days and does it divide 168? It does. Okay. What's the probability that this happened by chance? One over 168, which is pretty small. Okay. So what's the probability that it is true? 99.4%. And uh, if that is true, then first order was serving, okay, in both. Now let's calculate in 6 BC, when was the eighth order serving? That's the father of John the Baptist. He belongs to the eighth order. Well, we found out the eighth order would serve in Tishri, the seventh month, 20 to 26, while the tabernacle was Tishri, 15 to 22. Do they have an overlap? From 20 to 22, three days. So John the Baptist was conceived in either one of these three days when his father was serving. Okay, So John the Baptist was conceived, if he was conceived in, let's say, October, around the beginning of October, then Jesus was conceived six months later. <clears throat> okay, John was conceived in October 6 BC. Jesus, six months later, would be March 5 BC. 
He was born nine months later, it would be December 5 BC. See, the general time match. And now you go into more details about Hanukkah. He was born on the first day, he was circumcised on the eighth day. You see, everything fits together. And when the Bible, when the history, when science, they all agree, it's very unlikely this is not true. And for those who don't agree, we just have to say they are shallow. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I have to be, you know, sometimes a little harsh because it's ma truth matters. Okay. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your Son. And thank you for giving us Holy Spirit and your Word and giving us illumination and to understand the meaning of the true uh, the first Christmas, and we celebrate it because we're not afraid of the false claims of the pagans, and uh, we are glad to become strong Christians, and we respect the other kind, uh, but we pray that you will bring all of us, remembering the grace of you through Christ Jesus, and our life will become grateful and graceful. In Jesus' name we pray. Howard A. Bear, would you please come forward and make a very special presentation? Pastor Ewan, would you and uh, your sweet bride Rose join me on the podium, please? And he says, uh-oh, I'm trying not to be shallow. <laughs> it is with great joy and pleasure that I give to the both of you on behalf of all the sheep here in your fold this small love offering, small token of our appreciation for all that you do for us each and every day. Thank you. May God continue to bless you and your family. Thank we you. love you. Thank you. God. During the first three Sundays of Advent, we've sung the first three verses of Joy to the World. Now let's join together in singing verse four. Please stand. After the benediction, after Pastor gives the benediction, please stay and join us in our Christmas fellowship celebration out in the foyer. You are all welcome. Joy to the World. God, mercy of Christ, and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, with me, with us, from now till eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.
done this in many years, which is a confidence album. <laughs>